Hello, Steve. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm uh, happy to be doing a second podcast with wow. you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're on a roll, and we have a name. Ta-da! It's dulcimergeek.com is the site. This is the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. Officially without the the. Yeah, it doesn't need the or an S on the end of it. And uh, I think the reason that's important is because you want the people, a person who might want to listen to us ramble on about geeky dulcimer things to be a dulcimer geek themselves. So it would be easy to remember that, uh, hey, I'm a dulcimer geek. I'm going to listen to that podcast. Right. And, and in the 1950s, it wasn't cool to be known as a geek. But like when I just said to my mom, we are dulcimer geek podcast, she said, cool. Oh, she did. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that whole stereotype thing may be gone. Hopefully. When I hear the word geek, I always think the geeks don't want no freaks. Remember that song? Uh, Is that like Huey Lewis or something? I don't know that one, but I, you know, I should maybe. That's okay. It wasn't a very good song. It wasn't so great. Uh, and your mom's, I sort of look at her as my mom too, just so you know. I think of my mother uh, as my mother also. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Can we quickly maybe lower expectations? Oh, I love doing that. Yeah, because the purpose of this podcast is not to pontificate. Even the word pontificate should never be used on this podcast because it's too pontificatory. Yeah, we'll be editing that out. <laughs> no, we won't. <clears throat> we won't do this podcast either unless there's a bunch of editing. So it's going to be just uh, me and Steve talking about things that interest us as dulcimer players, uh, but not necessarily teaching. Right. Those of you who teach will be judged more strictly. And even though this is all about dulcimers, we're not going to be performing all the time on here with dulcimers. No, we can sometimes if we want to. I think we could interview people too, because uh, we want to try to do this, you know, with both of us talking. Uh, but every now and then, you know, somebody might be gone. I'm going to Africa next That's month. That's amazing. So, yeah, so that might be a hard time, but you know, you can always record things ahead of time. Why are you going to Africa? Believe it or not, Steve, I have a gig. I got hired for a wedding in Africa. Isn't that incredible? Crazy. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It was somebody I knew. Uh, back when I lived in Kennett, Missouri, this small town where I basically grew up from being 11 years old till you know, I moved away, flew the nest. And uh, their daughter is getting married. She is or was in the Peace Corps and met a guy there and decided uh, they want to stay there. So wow. I'm going to Zambia, So which means I've had all my shots. Uh, shouldn't get yellow fever or gout or toe jam or anything. I think all hammer dulcimer players should have their shots just to be safe. <clears throat> I think that's your second podcast. You're being offensive again. Oh my gosh! It's this hammer dulcimer versus mountain. Oh, dulcimer that's thing. right. I don't. We're gonna not do that. Well, you know, I started with hammer. I didn't start with mountain. I uh, heard it on that. Mannheim Steamroller Christmas album, and I said, "Whatever that is, I want to play it." And I looked in the liner notes; it said "Dulcimer." I need you to understand 
that we're a little sensitive because there's more of you. Oh, you're a minority. Yes. <laughs> and I think, like, even when you said what you just said about I started with Hammer, that means, like, you progressed out. No, I'm not. To, I, to me, because of my, you know, because of low self-esteem. We, we should both have a bit of that because we're dulcimer geeks. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like uh, maybe... As far as playing melody goes, you know, in an orchestra, a lot of the viola players have been demoted from playing first or second violin, you know, and I've, there was a long time when I felt like ultimately I was going to end up playing hammered. It just seemed more flexible and it was just, it really had my interest, but I fell in love with the mountain. It hijacked me, you know, and, um. I have a great respect for Hammer Dulcimer players, but we also have the tendency to pick on each other the way, you know, buddies do, I think. Yeah, we don't want to do that, for sure. I really don't want to do that. Not enough time for that. Can can we talk about this? Uh, this isn't... We kind of talked about what we might talk about, but maybe we don't talk about that. I kind of would like to address, with neither one of us thinking we have the ultimate answer, this dulcimers thing what's that why they're together uh it's, i think that's really interesting and and there may not be a definitive answer i know somebody's going to write and say there is a definitive answer and then give it but we can have opinions <laughs> and uh, i my opinion is in that it's there's a sound that people hear that uh makes them associate it with something nostalgic or a time. And there's, they get that same feeling when they hear an auto harp off in a distance or a mountain dulcimer off in a distance. They might even say that if they heard a harpsichord off in the distance or a hammer dulcimer, that <clears throat> there's this simplicity, often, not always, where the diatonic scale is really present. Now, they don't know that, but they're hearing something that's kind of predictable diatonically, and that sounds like what they would call a dulcimer. That's my idea, one part of it. Well, I also, I also think that um, there's, a, there's, there's an established tradition of all of us hanging out since especially the 70s. And so... That's a that's a good bunch of decades that that really established. You know, somebody might say, "Well, why are we hanging out together?" Well, we have for decades, and now we're all friends. And yeah, I think that's really true. And now I've got the sound of that in my head, and um, and we share the same name and the same tradition. And I, it's like I don't I don't need to rock that boat, right? There are people within both camps yes. that will tell you they do not like the other one. And I'm not going to say who this person was, but one of my proudest accomplishments as a hammer dulcimer player, as somebody that uh, we both knew and loved, uh, said I was like, he, he didn't care for hammer dulcimer and said that I was kind of, he liked to hear me play. And that makes me proud. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's that's when you know you're onto something is when somebody says, I don't like mountain dulcimers at all, and I really enjoy your playing. That's that's a 
good compliment to get, I guess. That's a big deal, isn't it? You kind of seek that. Uh, and, and this doesn't happen as much as it used to, but when we started uh, publishing Dulcimer Players News Magazine after I became the publisher after Maddie was, I'm always careful about how I say that. I'm afraid to say after we took it over because I don't feel like that. I don't think you can take over this magazine. I think it could only take over you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, where, where was I going with that? You were going to talk about oh, 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 about when people would would complain. It's I feel like you've done a good job. If both sides say there's too much of the other side, those who are attending who are going to tend to be the ones who don't like the other side, and we don't get as much of that as we used to, just because people have sort of gotten used to the fact. I think that they're used to the fact that these instruments are together, and <clears throat> we're our talking about it is proof that we're geeks, because the average person doesn't care. Yeah, right. And by the average person. I think the average person is normal and superior <laughs> to the person who thinks it matters. How's that? That works for me. It wasn't offensive, was it? I don't think so. But um, I, I'm lucky because I did start off wanting to play one. So I genuinely am not b bothered by the sound of AM or Dulcimer. You know? Well, you know, I played Mountain Dulcimer first. That... It's interesting. So when was that? Why? We were living in this brown house in up on a hillside in Cleveland, Tennessee. I'm trying to remember the, the years. I'm, I'm so bad. Uh, I had a friend who kept telling me about this festival in Cosby. So it was when that was going on. And she was buying new instruments all the time. And she, I think I paid $125 for an instrument and liked it. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was fun. We I think around the same time I was experimenting with learning how to play banjo and harp and those kinds of things. So it just sort of fit the folk thing. I didn't know hammer dulcimer at all. But when I heard one, I really fell in love with that sound and it just felt natural to me, more natural than anything fretted. That might be a core reason why we're friends is because we actually enjoy listening to each other's instruments. Yeah. Hey, there's a voice that the Mountain Dulcimer has that is absolutely unique to that instrument, to my ear. And I think it ought to find its way into more... I'm going to use the word pop, but I don't... I think that word has a negative connotation almost automatically. But I'm trying to use it in the larger sense, like what is popular. Uh, I'll use it with uh, the ukulele, which everybody says ukulele. But the, the uke right now is being used in all kinds of pop popular music. Right. In, in a good sense. And I wonder why that hasn't happened for Mountain Dolls. You know, at some point in the past, I wanted that. And I guess I through a number of experiences, I just started to... I got this idea planted in my head that that's never going to really happen. And <laughs> seems that way. And sometimes. so I, I kind of started just saying that's never going to happen. And, and I let my heart let go of that idea, but that's really, I should let go of that and just make music. And if it happens, that's great. I mean, I guess the, the benefit <laughs> to, uh, 
hearing mountain dulcimers and and all the airline commercials is that we're probably um, going to make a lot more musical friends. We're going to get more work and. You know, you mean you're saying that that would be the benefit, or were you talking about ukulele? No, no, no. That would be the benefit. I think of all of a sudden mountain dulcimers everywhere. You know, but I don't. I don't. I almost want to be free of an opinion on that. I I want to just try to make the best music I can with it. And I like to believe down deep that first of all, if something's good, somebody's going to want to um, participate in that. But also, just because the pop world doesn't like my half barbaric twang that doesn't mean um that what i'm doing you know is not important so i, I kind of <laughs> just want to i kind of want to let go of that and you know i always think i can't get past half barbaric twang what? well that's there's what? i think there's a book about banjo and that's the title of the book and and i often there's this david schnaufer poem i wish i had the whole thing in my memory but this one uh, part of it, he says, uh, and he's you know my favorite Mountain Dulcimer player. He said, um, "I play, I, I make, I play the sound. I make the sound of the ground I walk on. This ain't no piano. This ain't no guitar. You know." And um, I love that he acknowledged this is a wild, untamed sound, and. Um, and he and you know he liked it that way and i i like it this way and just like we had a folk revival in the 50s and 60s there might be some similar type of thing happen but you know i notice in nashville so often somebody will want a bizarre instrument in there and the, the kind of the boss of the record the producer He'll often make a decision like, okay, I know what you're going for, but we can achieve that, a similar effect with a guitar. Like instead of having a jaw harp player come in, we'll get a guitar player to go ba-bow, bow, bow, or something. So often the producers are going to default to, let's get a similar effect with the more commonly accepted instruments. And um, that's just, that's the, you know, I live in Nashville. I'm probably a little more sensitive to this because. Yeah, I'd love to be putting Mountain Dulcimer on every record, you know, once a week. It's just, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think you're going to hear bagpipes, you know, on every third major release record. <laughs> well, but when the uh, oh, river dance, you know, craze was at its peak, you did hear a lot more bagpipes in airline commercials. <laughs> that's funny. Because that kind of stuff happens, and uh, maybe it has already happened, and it just <laughs> it was three minutes, and we were busy, you know, trying to get to the next gig or something. Uh, I found uh, I did a quick search while you were talking about the David Schnaufer thing, and there is a uh, he said we play the sound of the ground we walk. We play the sound of the ground we walk was something he said to like the register in an interview. Maybe we could find that poem and put it in the show notes. I know um, Jan Pulsford has a recording of him reading the whole poem. I'd love to find that. Yeah, you know, I like <clears throat> that quote. I like it even better of than on it's the sound of the ground we walk. That's really powerful. That's pretty cool. And it kind of, I mean, that fits all sorts of instruments. We do. You, 
I was, I'm a drummer, not a very good drummer. I'll confess that right up front. I'm an okay drummer, and I think my timing's pretty good because I've worked so hard at it. But I was trying to learn jazz, and I grew up in this small town. <clears throat> there was no jazz, and I never really had a chance to play it. And maybe we might play something in the uh, pop band, in the pep band it was called, like at a basketball game, and I was playing traps, and it might have a swing beat to it. And that was the closest I ever came to it. And I uh, went to college thinking I'm going to try to be a a drummer and uh, Southwest Missouri State. And oh my goodness, was that ever a uh, <laughs> an esteem leveling experience for me, getting around people who'd been doing this forever. And I had this jazz, really accomplished jazz pianist say something to me that I was so confused by and troubled by, and I understand it better now. He said, uh, you know, you, you don't, you probably are having a hard time playing jazz because you don't have anything to say. Yeah. <laughs> and that was tough. I honestly didn't get it. I really, at 19 or 20, thought that's, that's just nonsense. How, that's just putting up a wall that excludes me from doing this thing. Um, but I understand it now. Because you have to absorb music, and that's in order to play the ground you walk, you know? Does that make sense, or is that well, too Well, that weird? exact quote bothered me years ago. Um, I was having trouble writing papers and uh, towards the end of high school and the beginning of college, and I remember a professor saying, you know, when you're really young, you really don't have as much to say sometimes, and a little bit of experience might change you're writing, you know, and I, I, I never made the connection to music, I guess. Well, yes, I did. I think I, this qu quote you said, um, about not, not having anything to say that haunts me with writing. And I think I was thinking a couple weeks back, it sounds like I'm making this up, but I really did. I was thinking, all right, I know how to play the dulcimer well enough. I know how to use my recording software well enough. I've got all kinds of understanding, and I have a bunch of tools. And I'm at the point in my life where maybe now it all comes down to I have something to say, and I need to say it. I mean, it, fe it feels like you know it's really easy to just get wrapped up in learning technique and learning how to use a piece of software. It's fun for me to do that. But really, at some point, it's time to say something. I, I often think of Einstein saying, you know, reading books can be a great thing. It is a great thing, but at some point it becomes a form of laziness. Well, for me, I want to be, I mean, it's strange to say this at the age of 41, but I really want to up my game and I want to be writing more. I want to write instrumental stuff. I want to, I, wa I really want to be working on just really what I fell in love with in the beginning. It's kind of like you fall in love with the music and then you realize there's all this stuff you got to learn. Mm. And um, I know 80% of everything I need to know to say something. And just a couple weeks ago, I was thinking, you know, this would be a perfect time in my life to actually start just focusing on what I want to say and how I want to say it and quit worrying about the tools and the technique and everything. Mm -hmm. Hmm. 
I'm, I'm not pausing because I have nothing to say. I'm pausing because I'm flooded with things to respond to with that. Uh, so, so first, and this, we're, we're dulcimer geeks, so we think about things maybe too much, right? Is that, I think is that's that fair the deal. Is somebody who is not so much into dulcimer would be like, uh, these guys are eat up. You know, they, they're gone a little too. Well, yeah. that's our job. We're full time dulcimer fanatics. That's, that's my job. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, so from seeing just and meeting people associated with dulcimer players news, probably more people than I would have met. I, clearly more people than I would have met because go to a lot of festivals. And it's not just that I want to go and play and teach and get paid and have people like what I do. Magazines, a, it's a pretty much a full-time thing. And so I'm looking to meet people and learn their stories and hearing stories. And maybe because of being the editor of this magazine, people want to tell me their stories. And this thing that you're talking about, of the young Steve now to the older Steve, I hesitate to call you old because I'm 14 years older than you are, and I don't think I'm old yet. The uh, There's this these words that you hear over and over again, <laughs> especially with younger players who discover this, fall in love with it for whatever reason, and want to do it. Almost everyone says in their marketing material, I'm breaking new ground. Right. And I think we become focused on that early on, but that's okay. I think looking at it with some perspective, they're probably not really. They're breaking uh, ground for for them, I think. Absolutely. But, you know, some of the stuff that I thought nobody's doing what I'm doing, I'd find out, yeah, Randy Marchini was doing what I'm doing and Malcolm Douglas was doing what I'm doing. And Randy and Malcolm probably, if they could look back, would go, oh, well, you know, somebody else was doing what they were doing. They were that. Now, it's, it's completely possible that I discovered something that I never heard any of them do in the same manner that they discovered it. And my musicianship and excitement for seeing and hearing things is probably not much different than theirs. And does that make right. sense? And so it made me just as excited the day I discovered it as it made them. You have these concurrent discoveries that go on, right. these emergent things that happen of working on something until you get to some new level for yourself. And it feels like, wow, I've got to share this. Now, taking the other end of it, it's still, I did a lot of street performing, not so much anymore, but it still surprised me that people didn't, when they, saw me play something that was making me so excited inside that I could hardly speak, weren't getting as excited. Or at least that was and your perception of it, you know? Sure. And it's pro- I think that perception was probably correct because they weren't walking the path I was. They weren't walking, playing the ground that I was. Yeah, this is the ground we walk, and this is the sound right. of the ground we walk. You know? Yeah. That's a great theme. and But then I think over time, if you stick with it, and when you're in your 20s, there's lots of things you don't stick with, and that's fine. But I think you, you work your way through it. You get to that place where you're talking about now in your 40s where you either become 
either becomes your social fiber, you know, part of your social network, and then maybe it'll stick with it. But the geek isn't necessarily social. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's nothing that says an artist has to be social. I do think great art communicates something, but it, there's there's all kinds of ways to communicate uh, in the present or in the future. It doesn't have to be part of a social thing, especially at the point of creation. Right. What what sustains that geek through realizing that they aren't necessarily even uh, plowing new ground? Well, for me... You know, this is funny. I think, um, of course, I've always had people I look up to musically, or I'd have this ideal in my head, like, I want to be able to sit on a front porch and watch the sun rise and, and play a bunch of old mountain tunes. Uh, the, but the bulk of my experience, the reason I'm able to keep getting better, the reason I'm still interested, it's the same as the very first day. It's always been a groundbreaking experience for me personally, and I love the excitement of that. I like to get excited about something, develop it, and then ride it and enjoy it for a while. Hmm. And uh, there's, I mean, David Schnaufer used to do all kinds of stuff in concert. And back then, a lot of those techniques were... The way he did them, I mean, it was really fresh to the ears and to the eyes and the mind. But one day I walked in on him when we were down at the, um, we were in Covington, Louisiana at that uh, festival. And I walked into the room we were sharing, like, you know, our dorm room or whatever. And he was bowing the dulcimer. Now, I'd heard him bow it before in slow stuff. But he was bowing it fast, like a fiddler, and he was actually really doing well. I never heard him do that. I never heard anybody else do it. It was a fast tune. He's bowing it just like a fiddler. And I said, David, that's awesome. I've never heard that before. You need to do that for people. And he said, this is for me right now. This is, <laughs> you know, and it, it's about all he said. But I remember thinking, wait a minute, he's kind of broke some ground here and yeah. He's going to enjoy this for a while. He doesn't, and I don't know that I ever heard him do that in front of anybody. But for me, that private moment that anybody could walk in on, you know, you're you're just in love with the music right there. You know, for me, that that series of groundbreaking experiences personally, that's why I play. Now, I do love to share this with people. I love. There's so many things I like about playing music for folks, but it all stems forth from what I guess, um, if you were really negative, you could call it, you could call it selfish, but I don't think that's what it is. Uh, every, well, uh, yeah, it, it, you do the same thing, you know, not with the Boeing necessarily, but the conversation we both have work to do. We're both self-employed or self-unemployed musicians. <laughs> and, and yet, the thing that wasted a bit of time for both of us today was a conversation about technology that we're both interested in that has to do with music. And we don't have time to go into that right now, but uh, part of that conversation has been, at least in my experience using this, and we'll talk about this. Absolutely. It's uh, Ableton live and logic and all that kind of stuff in, in future shows. But I get to places when I'm using that kind of stuff where I'm comfortable doing it 
by myself, but for um, all kinds of doubts come flooding in when I think about putting this in front of the dulcimer community as it exists, because, well, because <laughs> I don't know, you know, and you don't want to alienate people. I don't want to talk about all the negative side, but there's a bunch of that. And, but it's okay to be doing what entertains you. Not only is it okay, I think it's important because that's the fuel that keeps the fire going. Right. And often what keeps, I don't get burned out on dulcimer. I can't explain that. I, I cannot explain why I've never gotten burned out on it. I suspect, though, that I have an iceberg of interests. And a lot of the interests I have around music that maybe nobody would realize, you know, watching from the outside, those that body of interests, it keeps it a, a quite complex and wonderful playground for me. Um, so for instance, every December, I typically get fascinated with Irish traditional music again, usually around November, December, and by January, I'm out of it, but I enjoy and look forward to some of these cycles of interest. Now, what happens is, is I'm usually doing that on a penny whistle, but where that comes out is, is in June, Somebody wants to do an Irish tune, or I'm sitting there thinking I should do an Irish tune. I do it on the dulcimer, you know. But um, what I, I think what I like about art is what you end up communicating in your works is it is the tip of the iceberg, but it's really a it's kind of a laser focus uh, um, of something. It's a culmination of some really interesting stuff and sometimes a whole bunch of stuff that never makes the cut. You know, I... But it's all shaping that, that tip of the iceberg is indicative of what's below the surface. Well. Right, and so when somebody looks at me and says, that, okay, this dude's a dulcimer player, well, not. it's a lot more than that. It's really an absolute fanatical obsession with everything that has to do with organizing sound and making music. You're a geek. I'm a dulcimer geek. Yeah, me too.